I never want us to be moved away from the simplicity that is in Christ. And I trust that I can share something simple with you now before we come to the Lord's table. We want to discern the Lord's death till He comes. What happened at Corinth was they were not discerning the Lord's death in the Lord's Supper and it cost them dearly. And it should have. And it should us if we don't come soberly and carefully. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and let us look at what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration again. Luke chapter 9. Brother Jeff read this to us a couple of weeks ago. This is Luke's version of what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, beginning at verse 28. And it came to pass, about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory, and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close, and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Amen and Amen. Of course, Peter told those things later when he wrote Second Peter chapter 1. Heavenly Father, for the glory of Your Son, let us consider a simple point and let it convict us that as we come to the Lord's table, it is not our monthly burden. It is not our monthly ritual. It is not our monthly same o same o, but that we would see Jesus and that we would discern that He died for us and that we would remember His decease until He comes for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want verses 30 and 31. And behold, there talked with Him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of His decease, which He should accomplish 
at Jerusalem. This is the account of Jesus being transfigured before Peter, James, and John. It's four times in your Bibles. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and 2 Peter chapter 1. While Jesus was being transfigured, two men from heaven, two of our brethren, the spirits of just men made perfect, two of those holy men that we read about today from 2 Peter 1.21 appeared in glorified appearances for Peter, James, and John. Luke tells us something special here that is not in Matthew and Mark. And that is that those two men spake with Jesus about His decease, about His departure out of this life, about His death that was going to take place at Jerusalem. Matthew and Mark do not tell us this. Peter does not tell us in 2 Peter 1. That is why we read the whole Bible. And that 31st verse is special. They spake of His decease, which He should accomplish at Jerusalem. This is precious information that two men on our level discussed with Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Elias or Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and yet he's on the Mount of Transfiguration talking to Jesus about dying in Jerusalem. If you have ever thought of being a fly on the wall to hear a conversation, this is an example of one. To have been a fly on the wall and to have heard two great prophets from the Old Testament talking to their Redeemer and our Redeemer about dying on the cross. If you look back at Matthew chapter 16, let us get Matthew's account of what took place right in front of this. And brethren... There are a hundred million Baptists in the world. And they all take, as far as we know, the Lord's Supper. And how many Lord's Suppers have we taken? But let's make sure that we do not neglect the transcendent event that it is to commemorate. We are to remember that Jesus Christ died for us. And I want to show you that one of our beloved brothers... Peter got messed up right around this event. But there were two men there that did not get messed up about it. And it wasn't James and John. It was Moses and Elijah. Because they understood the absolute necessity and the importance of him going to Jerusalem to die. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13 to verse 20, And I'm not going to read it. I want this to be simple and short. In verses 13 through 20, Jesus asked his apostles, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they threw out some of the speculative ideas on who Jesus of Nazareth was. And Simon Peter said in verse 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in the next verse, Jesus explains that flesh and blood did not reveal that to Peter. That was special revelation from heaven to know that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ of God and the Son of the living God and that Peter was a blessed man. And Jesus went on to say a blessing to Peter in verse 18 about his leadership in the New Testament church and about the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
and how Peter would be opening the gospel to the Gentiles, all implied here. And he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. And so we have that event. Peter passes with flying colors by God's inspiration of him from heaven that he knew that Jesus of Nazareth, that Jesus that he accompanied with, was the Christ, the Son of God. But now watch. Brethren, have we come in here distracted? I've had a distracting week. Have we come in here distracted today? I don't want to be like Peter, what I'm about to show you, and I don't want to be like Peter from Luke chapter 9. And I don't want any of you to be like Peter in what I'm about to read and from Luke chapter 9. We don't want to be heavy with sleep. And we don't want to think that the death of Jesus Christ is not that important of an event. I give you these three verses, Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter got, was so confused about the gospel. This is such a wonderful reminder to us. We can be blessed in verses 13 through 20 with understanding something. And if we are not careful, and if we do not come the Lord's prescribed way to something as important as His death, we can get totally confused to where we're talking as if we are the devil himself. Peter did not appreciate that Jesus was going to have to go to Jerusalem and be killed. And so he tries to stop the Lord. We can say, well, it was out of good motives. He loved his Savior. He didn't want to see Jesus die. He didn't want anything bad to happen to him. He had witnessed Jesus on other occasions be able to walk through crowds to when they were trying to cast him off a cliff and kill him. He could resist them and deliver himself. And Peter, whatever his motivation is, it's wrong. Because Jesus came into this world for one reason. To lay down His life for us. And when we come to this table, we do not want to be heavy with sleep. We do not want to be distracted. We do not want to think this event doesn't deserve our rapt attention. Because it does. And so this is what leads up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Look at your Bibles at verse 17, chapter 17 and verse 1, and after six days. I want you to see that these events happen right in front. God, Jesus has just blessed Simon Barjona with having something revealed to him from heaven. Then he rebukes Simon Barjona as speaking like the devil in trying to keep him from his main mission, and that is to go to Jerusalem and to die for our sins. Jesus corrected the outspoken spokesperson of the apostles by rebuking Peter for being like Satan. This is consistent with Peter's hasty and misguided judgment at the transfiguration of wanting to make three tabernacles, one to Jesus, one to Moses, and one to Elias, which offended God, 
because there's only one Son of God and there's no one else to be compared to Him and He is the Lord of glory and we want to give Him all of our attention and it's the Lord's table. It's not Moses' table or Elias' table. It's the Lord's table. It's the Lord's supper. These are expressions in the Bible about communion. Let us, by God's grace, flush any wild thought that we have contrary to the crucifixion. Let us be careful to avoid anything close to neglecting His death in these next few minutes. We want to discern the Lord's body. The best of men, without spiritual caution and diligence, can neglect His decease. I'll tell you a time when you won't neglect it. It's when you stand before God in the great day of judgment and see yourself delivered by the one man, Christ Jesus, the mediator between us and God, when He delivers us and appeals to His Father that we, our names are written in the book of life and He died for us, then you'll understand. Moses and Elias had a better picture of things than did Peter. Peter was still on earth. Moses and Elias had already been to heaven and had been there for some time. Let's go back to Luke 9 and look at those two verses. And behold... Luke 9.30 And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses and Elias were glorified, and they're talking to Jesus about his death. The word decease simply means death. We don't need to make this complicated at all. His body was going to die and be in the ground three days and He was going to come back up just as He told the apostles over there in Matthew 16. Jerusalem was the city where God had chosen to be worshipped out of all the cities of this world. As early as Genesis chapter 14, we read about a city called Salem. And it is a shortened form of Jerusalem where Melchizedek was king of righteousness and king of Salem. King of righteousness and king of peace. In Jerusalem was the temple of Jehovah, with the Holy of Holies blocked to men. In Jerusalem were sacrifices offered daily and yearly that could not put away sin. In Jerusalem is where the rulers of the Jews sat to condemn the prophets, as Luke 13 of this very gospel tells us. In Jerusalem in the temple is where the desire of nations would make peace for us. The decease of Jesus was something He was to accomplish. To accomplish something is to fulfill it, perform it, or carry it out, to bring it to an end, to complete it, to finish it. It is finished, were His words from the cross. Jesus accomplished the will of God by His decease, by His death, by His departure, out of life for the elect. The Bible has a number of things to say about what was accomplished at the cross. And, and to save time, we'll not look at them, but it's a wonderful word. They spoke to Him of His decease or His death that He would accomplish because He would finish the work and complete the great transaction necessary for our salvation in the city of Jerusalem. Whose death accomplishes any real good. But the decease of Jesus Christ destroyed death. What an accomplishment. 
What an accomplishment. They spoke to him of his decease that he should accomplish in Jerusalem. For other men, death is the end of any accomplishment or fulfillment by their lives. For him, it was the purpose of his life, and it ushered into him and commenced for him the coronation of honor and glory that he has at the right hand of God at this time. He came to destroy the devil who had the power of death. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He put away our sins by the sacrifice or decease of Himself. We were cursed by Eden and by the law of Moses, but He became a curse for us as the second Adam and as a curse of the law, because cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. He died for us that we should live forever with Him. This greatest transaction created a logical argument for God in that God would reason in Romans 8.32, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? Because of this decease that was accomplished at Jerusalem. God had promised a prophet and a mediator for His church like Moses. I showed you where those verses were today in Deuteronomy 18. And God sent Moses to discuss Jesus' mediatorial role with him of dying for the sins of the elect. I find that wonderful. The people said, we want a prophet like Moses to go up to and speak to God and then come down to tell us God's words. God said, I like that proposal. I'll raise up a prophet like unto Moses. Well, there's Moses talking to the prophet that is like unto Moses. And they were talking about his death in Jerusalem to be accomplished for us. The prophets, like Moses and Elijah, like David and Isaiah, saw what they wrote very obscurely. 1 Peter 1, 10-12 tells us they didn't really know what or what manner of time that they were really talking about when they wrote about the death of Jesus Christ and the glory that should follow. That's because they were still down here. But once you're in heaven, even before glorification, these two men could talk to the Lord Jesus Christ about His death and they weren't saying things like what Peter said. Peter said, be it far from thee. I can promise you that Moses and Elijah were not saying, be it far from thee, Lord. Because they needed that transaction to be accomplished. They needed that decease to be finished by the Lord Jesus. Moses, the holy man of God, recorded other prophecies of Jesus Christ in as early as Genesis chapter 3 about the seed of the woman bruising the head of the serpent about the seed of Abraham and all nations of the earth being blessed in him. That's us, Gentiles. In Genesis 49, about the Shiloh of the tribe of Judah reigning with a scepter out of all the sons of Jacob. In Numbers chapter 24, he even moved Balaam the false prophet to prophesy of the star and scepter that would come out of Jacob. Brethren, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke tells us, that an angel came from heaven and strengthened Jesus in Gethsemane. 
and did the same thing for him when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. These two events indicate to us and show us that Jesus, our mediator, the man Christ Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, needed and could use comfort and encouragement and exhortation to die for us. But the apostles didn't do it. Peter said, Be it far from thee, Lord, that will never be unto thee. And then they slept. But there were two men not sleeping. Two holy men not sleeping. Moses and Elijah. And they spoke to Jesus about going to die. When He brought up dying to His apostles, they failed Him in fully grasping what He was going to do for them. The benefits of it. The pain and suffering of it. But Moses and Elijah understood they now had a better view of things up there in heaven. If there were angels coming down to comfort the Lord Jesus Christ, these two men came first. And brethren, when I think of the difference, and listen, if Peter were here, he'd preach the same sermon I'm preaching. But that difference between Peter talking like the devil and trying to keep Jesus from the cross, sleeping on the Mount of Transfiguration, sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane, God sent angels to do the work of comforting. But in this particular case, He sent Moses and Elijah. And they did it for Him. Because if you were to... Watch. Did it have an effect on the Lord Jesus Christ? Luke 9 and verse 51. And it came to pass, when the time was come that He should be received up, He steadfastly set His face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before His face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for Him. And they did not receive Him because His face was as though He would go to Jerusalem. It was so evident in the life and countenance of the Lord Jesus Christ to get to Jerusalem to accomplish His decease But the Samaritans could recognize it and it offended them because he was not thankful or happy to be in their little village. He wanted to get to Jerusalem. But notice that he set his face to go to Jerusalem and this follows upon two men being sent from heaven to speak to him of his decease that he should accomplish at Jerusalem because the great event... For Jesus of Nazareth being in this world was to die in Jerusalem, and they understood that. Moses and Elijah had a very real interest in the decease that Jesus needed to accomplish. May I share a few verses with you that they had a very real interest in that event. I'm going to turn to these quickly. Romans 3.25 These verses that I'm about to read to you state that for 4,000 years, God had to forbear the sins of His people until Jesus Christ would die on the cross. There was faith that God had in the blood of Jesus to forbear and overlook sins that had already been committed in order to have spirits of men, just men, made perfect in heaven with Him before Jesus died. Oh, those two men had an interest in Jesus Christ going to Jerusalem. Peter didn't fully appreciate it, but Moses and Elijah did. Romans 3 and verse 25 says, Whom God, speaking of Jesus Christ, 
whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. God had been forbearing sins that were already passed by faith in the blood of Christ to declare His righteousness for those spirits that were with Him before Jesus died. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 on this same subject. There are some expressions in Scripture that I hope I can enlighten you with right now that relate back to Moses and Elijah speaking to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration about His death in Jerusalem. Now, I'm not reading whole context here because I don't want to take the time. Not today. I'll be happy to discuss any one. You know Ephesians 1 context. Look at verse 10. God, verse 8 and 9, tell us that God has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence according to the mystery of His will, sending Jesus Christ to die for us. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, and that was when Jesus came, and in a time that's coming, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. Jesus Christ had to die to gather into one body, not Jews and Gentiles. That's chapter 2 of this epistle. These are things in heaven and things on earth. And these aren't puppy dogs and kitty cats. These are God's elect. Some of the angels didn't get redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. But men that were already in heaven had to be gathered together in one redeemed family of God. And Jesus Christ was sent in the wisdom and prudence of God and according to His will to accomplish that. That He would gather them together into one, even in Christ. Look over at Colossians chapter 1. Earlier today I told you that if you're going to read Ephesians, then read Colossians. If you're going to read Colossians, then read Ephesians. They're like fraternal twins in the Bible and they help explain each other. Colossians chapter 1 at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him, and this is the Lord Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. Is the devil reconciled? Are kitty cats reconciled? Is your dying tomato bush reconciled? Reconcile all things unto Himself by Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Those four verses right there are telling us that Jesus reconciled to God things that were in heaven and things that were in earth. There were spirits and Moses and Elijah were already in heaven. David was already in heaven and so was Abraham. But they needed to be reconciled legally by the death of Jesus Christ as much as we needed to be living 2,000 years later. Things in heaven, things in earth. Look at Hebrews 9.15. Hebrews 9.15. We're just bolstering our case with verses of Scripture that show us 
this truth that there were 4,000 years of God's elect in heaven already who had a very serious interest in the death of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, And for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. There was a great host of men that had been condemned by the first covenant, but the Lord Jesus Christ, by putting the second covenant into force, has redeemed them and guaranteed their eternal life, which until he died had not been guaranteed legally. It was guaranteed eternally in the eternal phase of salvation, where God made a covenant before the world began that he, he chose them in Christ, but the legal transaction was 4,000 years later, In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. How about Revelation chapter 5? Revelation chapter 5. There's already men in heaven. John isn't in heaven. John's on earth. He's on the Isle of Patmos for the Word of God. He believed in one-word arguments, and it got him in trouble. So he was on the Isle of Patmos. And he gets a vision of heaven, and there in heaven are 24 elders representing both churches, I mean, one church under both testaments, and they say this. Verse 9, they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And twelve of those twenty-four elders were Old Testament elders, representing the Old Testament saints, all the way back through the patriarchs to Abel, our first brother that we know of, and to Seth, that was his replacement after the enemy of truth killed the lover of truth. And so we have the Word of God telling us in a variety of places about the interest that they had in comforting and exhorting the Lord Jesus. If an angel, if an angel could come from heaven and strengthen Jesus, surely these great prophets could help him. And so I'm reasoning with you from the verses that they spake to him and they, they weren't telling Jesus, be it far from thee, Lord. Or Jesus would have had to repeat his words again, get thee behind me, Satan. Oh no. They were glorified. They were also in glory. They were also glistering. And they were speaking to Jesus and encouraging Him to come and die for us. If their sins were not covered by His death, they would have been thrown out of heaven. They were in heaven by the forbearance of God. As the verses I've shown you, Jesus reconciled things that were in earth and things that were in heaven. An angel from heaven strengthened Jesus, but no angel, not Michael or Gabriel, had an interest in His death like Moses and Elijah. These two passionate men who feared and loved God would have loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And there they were, encouraging Him to the work. What can we conclude, or what can we think, based on what the Bible tells us, that they might have said to Him? Would they have brought up any of the promises of Scripture of what God was going to do for Him for dying for us? Oh, yes. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Do you think Moses and Elijah glorified would have forgotten the text from Psalm 2? 
they would have brought up the promises about his death and that God would 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 distribute would would uh, share the spoil with the strong in Isaiah 53 and verse 12 and that for the joy that was set before him there was promised joy and pleasures at the right hand of God laid out before the Lord Jesus Christ in Psalm 16 verses 10 through 12 they would have reminded him of that if we think about what the scriptures already tell us for Jesus Christ, it's what Moses and Elijah would have said to him. What about prophecies? Would they have reminded him of the prophecies that he would fulfill by what he's going to accomplish by his decease in Jerusalem? From that first prophecy to Isaiah's prophecies to Malachi's prophecies and Haggai's prophecies, they would have mentioned those prophecies. Look at how Jesus was concerned about prophecies Let me read this verse to you from Matthew 26 and verse 54. When Peter pulled out a sword to defend Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Peter, come on. Poor Peter. But listen, brethren, you know Peter's in the Bible for an example to all of us. How many of us are going to come to the Lord's table with our minds on what we're going to do this afternoon or what we did yesterday afternoon or being sleepy because it's been a long day and you had to get up a little earlier than usual? Let's humble ourselves and beg God to have mercy on us that we would be like Moses and Elijah and see our real interest in his death rather than Peter who was so easily distracted. My point though is this. Jesus said, Peter, don't you think that I can get 12 legions of angels right now? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Did Jesus care about fulfilling Bible prophecy? Oh yeah. Moses and Elijah were right there as two prophets. Oh Lord, I can hardly imagine the conversation. They knew He was the son of David. They knew that He was the son of Joseph and Mary, legally by Joseph, biologically by Mary. And they are, they are spirits of just men made from heaven. They are powerful and holy prophets in their own right. And they're exhorting the Lord Jesus Christ and comforting Him to go and die on the cross. If angels could do it, how much better could those two prophets do it? What interest did angels have in Him dying for them? Just the will of God being done in the glory of God. So that brings me to my third point that they would have brought up. The glory of God. Jesus in John 17, did He say, Father, the hour has come. Forgive my memory. John chapter 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Haven't we all been created to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever? So you know what those two men were telling Him? What a way you have to glorify God. This is God's will for you. This is God's will for the whole drama of the universe. Now, I'm, I'm making my suppositions based on Scripture on what was important to Jesus Christ. They wouldn't have been encouraging him any carnal or foolish way. They would have been encouraging him a spiritual and scriptural way. And so they encouraged him with the promises for dying for us. They would have encouraged him with the prophecies he was going to fulfill. They would have encouraged him with the glory of God that he would give the Lord, give God in heaven by his death. Of course, they would have given him thanksgiving. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. When the four and twenty elders burst into singing over there in Revelation chapter 5, they were giving thanks for the Lamb coming and shedding His blood 
to redeem them and make them kings and priests to the glory of God. They would have praised Him. They would have praised Him as God's beloved, God's darling, coming to give His life for them and for the rest of the family of God. They would have expressed their fear that there was no one else in the universe to do it. Do you remember in Revelation? Jerry, I know that you're on to this one because of Revelation 5. Remember how John grieved and wept that there was no man found in heaven or in earth or under the earth that could go and take the book of the everlasting covenant out of the hands of God on the throne? They would have known that there's only one. And they would have, out of fear, because if he didn't do it, there's no one that could do it. And John was afraid. Who is there that can open the book? And what did the elder say to him? Fear not. Fear not. There's no reason to be afraid. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open that book. And they would have comforted him. Just what the apostles didn't give him in Gethsemane, what the apostles didn't give him in the Mount of Transfiguration, they would have comforted him. All of this works together. They would have been encouraging him and exhorting him as they spoke to him of his decease. So different than Peter. Brethren, we don't try to turn the Lord's Supper into a big tear-jerking event. And and it's done intentionally. When we remember our Lord's death till He comes, He's not on the cross right now. He's sitting at the right hand of God glorified. He just wants us to remember what He did for us. And it's really a time of celebration. Celebration of what He's done for us. We want to remember the grief and the suffering and the many terrible things that were done to Him in Jerusalem by the scribes and the priests and so forth, as He mentioned in Matthew 16.21. But we want to be thankful and remember what He did for us. We don't want to be like Peter and get distracted in any direction, but thankful that the promises of God are fulfilled by our Lord Jesus Christ right here. That the prophecies of God about our deliverance as as His elect race have been fulfilled by what we're going to do right here. That the glory of God is most perfectly manifested in in the universe by this event right here. The whole thing is a drama for the glory of God. And we want to praise and be thankful and bless His holy name and work ourselves up in faith. Not in emotion, but in faith to lay hold of what transpired at the transcendent cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had said, and Luke records it, I must be about my father's business when he was 12. In Luke 9, verse 51, I've already shown you, he set his face to go to Jerusalem and die for us. So committed was he to do the will of God in dying for us, others could see it just from his carriage. Later, look at chapter 12, and I'm about done. I don't want to be long enough. Lord, bless your people to appreciate Moses and Elijah understanding what Jesus had to do and was willing to do on Calvary in Jerusalem. Verse 49, Jesus said, I am come to send fire on the earth. Luke 12, 49, John the Baptist opened up his ministry in Matthew 3 with the same words, There's coming one after me. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And the fan is in his hand. And he will gather his wheat into his garner, but he will burn the chaff up with unquenchable fire. I am come to send fire on the earth. And what will I if it be already kindled? 
But before that can happen, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Is it the right word for you? Until it be accomplished. How am I straightened? When we have the word straightened and there's no GH in it, what's it talking about? A straitjacket. We are restricted and we are confined to only one thing. I have a baptism. He is going to be immersed. He is going to be buried. He is going to be pushed down under. And the waves of God's wrath are going to roll over His soul. So that they will never roll over ours. We will go through the Red Sea of God's wrath on dry ground. Because Jesus was baptized with a baptism and He was straightened till it be accomplished. And notice that little piece of punctuation in your King James Bibles. There's an exclamation point there. Moses and Elijah spoke with Jesus about His decease in Jerusalem and they encouraged Him. How encouraging are we to Him right now? Well, He doesn't need to be encouraged. He's glorified in heaven. That's right. He didn't say He needed to be encouraged. You know what He wants though? He wants to be remembered. And He said it very very specifically. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. This do ye, as oft as ye do it, in remembrance of Me. They did not discern the Lord's body at Corinth, and they suffered greatly for it. Let us by God's grace, I've said this before already to in this sermon, flush any wild thought we have contrary to the crucifixion. Let us be careful to avoid anything even close to neglecting His death or being heavy with sleep right now. Fight off that flesh. Jesus knew it. Jesus said the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knows that. He's so merciful to our weakness. But brethren, whatever strength we have, let's lay hold of Jesus Christ by faith and realize that transaction was so great that Moses, who lived 1,500 years before Christ, appeared with him in the Mount of Transfiguration and spoke with him of his decease that he should accomplish. And they encouraged him. And let's honor him. Let's bless him. Let's reward him by remembering his death in the way that he wants us to. Our hearts committed to live for him, willing to die a living sacrifice, in memory of our Lord Jesus Christ, the best of men, without spiritual caution and diligence, can neglect His decease. Let it not be one of us. Let us be like Moses and Elijah. Let us be like the four and twenty elders. You know, there's a song that circulates among us that describes across the chasm when the Lord Jesus Christ died He came into heaven and Abraham saw his seed for the first time. David saw his son for the first time. And you know how they reacted. They burst open heaven with their singing of praise and it's described in Revelation chapter 5. Let us do that with faith in our hearts. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.